This is the Saturday Stoke number 25. I'm your host, Tim Willard. Think of it like a shot of espresso for your soul. Welcome to this week's Saturday Stoke, a short inspirational podcast designed to encourage and challenge you on the path ahead. It's a place where if I'm doing my job right, I'm spurring us all on toward love and good deeds. It's a podcast that sounds like water crashing off a 500-foot cliff and tastes like fudge brownies. If you're new to the Stoke, then welcome. Feel free to poke around my blog, theedgescollective.com. And if you find some inspiration... Sign up for my newsletter that's called Further Up. And yes, I did steal that from C.S. Lewis. You'll get updates when the next episode of The Stoke drops and exclusive articles and community discussions. Let's get to it. I pulled up at 10.30 p.m. It was a cloudy Alaskan summer day. Tim? Uh, yeah. You Seth? Yep. This is my daughter, Ashlyn. Hey, Ashlyn, how are you? She said nothing. (laughs) Just shot me a shy, if not wary, eight-year-old glance. Well, we gotta get moving so we can make it out to Lake Clark before it gets too dark. Ah, right, let's go. I hopped in the back seat, which wasn't a seat at all. More like a sling, topped with a thermarest cushion. Seth handed me a headset and showed me where the lap belt was. He murmured some numbers and said niner at least once, taxied us out to the runway, and then took off. We climbed to 1,000 feet and set a course for Lake Clark Pass, a high mountain passage that leads to Lake Clark National Preserve and Port Allsworth. We continued to climb as we passed Cook Inlet, a splinter of the Pacific Ocean. Hey Tim, I think we're going to take a little detour so we can beat these clouds. Okay, sounds good, I said. Single prop planes cannot fly in clouds, so we took a ride over the blockade glacier. As we approached the glacier, Seth shouted into the headset, Look! Down there! It's a bear! 1,500 feet below us, a brown bear was running out in the open plain that swept up to the glacier. Seth whipped the plane around and dove down. My stomach shot up into my mouth. My heart pounded. My mouth stretched ear to ear, and we gave the bear a flyby, banked back toward the blockade glacier, and continued our ascent into the mountains. The glacier spread out in front of us like the uncoiled tail of a sleeping dragon. It wedged itself between the peaks. Its color spiraled within itself, greens, blues, aqua gray from the fissures, and white covering all of it. I waited for it to wake up. We neared Lake Clark Pass and the clouds gathered around the ridge like a phantom gate closing off the pass. We're just going to peek into that hole in the clouds there, Seth said. If we get through that and down into the pass, then we're good. If not, we'll have to turn back. Sounds good, Seth, 
And what was I supposed to say? I had no idea what was going on. All I could do was watch and look at the beauty that was surrounding me. The clouds covered the surrounding mountains. The snowy gray mountainscape disappeared slowly, and our hole was closing. We were close. I could see into the hole over the mountains. We're going for it, Seth shouted. Up and over and whoosh, down under the canopy of clouds. And in a moment, we descended from the dimming gray of overcast Alaskan twilight into the world beneath the clouds. The white pushed down on all sides. The mountains shot up into the invisible, while a streak of glacial blue ribboned beneath us, cutting its way through the valley. We made it. Beneath the clouds and into the pass we flew. A deep green covered the base of the mountains, like a Christmas tree apron, except without the annoying tinsel. My head swiveled as I tried to take in the rifling grandeur of the mountains, the snow, the rivers, the waterfalls, and the massive lake that covered the valley floor for 45 miles. This, I thought, was a land of giants, of gods and magic. This was where the great myths came to life. Eagles and angels ruled here, I imagined, patrolling the skies with noble intent. Great doll sheep silently guarded the craggy heights, while the moose and bear scouted the outer reaches of the valley floor. I felt as if we'd flown into a parallel dimension, allowed to observe as long as we left the place just like we found it. Finally, we approached the gravel runway. The light was weak, but Seth landed the Stinson with ease. Welcome to Port Allsworth, he said. I exited the little plane and greeted my friends who waited on ATVs along the runway. The night was still awake, but barely. The smell of pine blew into me faster than I could breathe. The mountains darkened, and the clouds drifted low, almost to the lake. I'd arrived in the quiet land, and all I could do was smile. No words came. It felt wrong to talk. Well, what do you think? asked my friend Jason, who greeted me on the ATV. I don't think I responded audibly, but my mind shouted, beautiful. When I woke after my first night in the Alaskan bush, I found my way from our cabin to the lakefront. The clouds cracked with sunlight, and the wind pushed waves into the rocky lakeshore. Though I'd never been to Port Allsworth before, I felt at home. And I had felt this way before. When I arrived in Reykjavik, Iceland, to hike the Lanmanaluger Trail. When I camped just outside of Durango, Colorado, beneath the whale stars. When I watched my daughters emerge from their mother. When I meandered throughout the William Turner Collection at the Tate Museum in London. <laughs> but, Tim, you say... What is all this old bald talk of feeling at home in a place that is clearly not your home? I mean, do you mean to say that there are places in this world that possess special qualities that, that can make us experience home-like feelings? I mean, this all sounds a bit Harry Potterish, don't you think? Ah, yes, I reply. And do pardon the Harry Potterishness of my comments, but I do believe you've hit the nail on the head, as it were. Not only do certain places possess these qualities, but so do people and experiences and even things or animals. Think of it. <laughs> you see, friends, beauty awakens longing within us, 
It strikes us deep in our souls and creates an ache, a longing for a place we can't quite explain. Almost a kind of melancholy. And why this sadness? Because it reminds us of home. And this feeling of home we experience and other things and people and places, you know this, you felt it yourself. I can see you sitting there, nodding your head. Yes, Tim, I have experienced it. You are right after all. (laughs) That feeling when you find yourself on the English countryside and begin to weep because you feel like you're home. Or when you meet a new person and find yourself talking for hours and feel instant brotherhood or sisterhood. Home leaks into this world of exile we live in, shining through our experiences of beauty and goodness. We feel this longing for home even in our sorrow. Why? The sorrow of love lost we feel intensely because when we love, we bring heaven to earth. The lost cuts us because they have moved on, out of exile, and on to home. My week in the Alaskan bush revived me. It was years ago now, but each time I think of that wild and wonderful place, I long for it, trust me. On my last day, I hiked to Tenalian Falls with my friends. The violence of the white water created a sound not unlike something described in the Revelation. It was a voice from heaven, like roaring waters. I found a perch that overlooked the point where the water dove into the valley. The spray coated my jacket. The sound filled my ears. I tried to still myself and hear the words of God. And they sounded something like this. Capture this place in your heart, Tim. But don't bottle it up. Explore this great world and experience it for all it is. But remember, you were made for another. Love your friends deeply. Never let things go unsaid. And give home away freely through the beautiful grit of a life well lived. Stay stoked, my friends.